This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of the Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. As you hopefully already know, it's Frozen Food Month. This is the second power period of Grab a Boost of Blue. Our toolkit for the Frozen Food Month is ready for your download. There is some great resources, including the Frozen Fact Sheet, outlining 20 ways to love frozen blueberries. Visit ushbc.org forward slash frozen boost to download those resources today. And speaking of ways to love blueberries, I am very excited to be talking about the future of the food service on today's episode. It probably goes without saying that the past year has been incredibly tough on the food service industry, but that recovery has already started. As it continues, I have no doubt that it will continue to be an important market for our blueberries. Joining me on the show today, we have Jeremy Kay, head of design at Sterling Rice Group, our agency partner on food service, the food service side of our business. Also with us is Tamara Scoggins, executive chef and Director of Culinary at Grill Concepts in Los Angeles. Tamara, Jeremy, welcome to the business of blueberries. Thank you, Casey. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Well, great to have you on the show. Jeremy, maybe a good place to start our conversation is just kind of discussing the impacts of this pandemic on the food service. I know we've had conversations about this, but can you briefly just kind of give us an overview or bring us up to speed on that? Yeah, sure. So, Casey, are you a history buff? Uh, I'm going to say yes. Okay, great. Uh, the reason I ask is, you know, we really had to take a step back to look forward. It's been a year, right? So we've been here a year, which is crazy. And when we, we got into this mess in the first place, we had to look back to say, has this ever happened before? Have we ever had a pandemic like this that has affected the restaurant industry like this before? And what we found in our research was, well, not really, but actually about 100 years ago, we found the Spanish flu, the kind of global pandemic really did have a similar effect on our culture. And what was so interesting about the Spanish flu, without boring all your listeners, was that from an architecture perspective, it actually changed the way we live in our environment forever. So the pandemic gave rise to modernist architecture. We did away with kind of heavy, uh, ornate designs and we moved to something that was much more open and bright and vibrant and had access to fresh air. And what was interesting is as we kind of go through history, even in 2008 with the financial crash, that actually had a major effect on the on the restaurant industry as well. It actually gave rise to food trucks and fast casual restaurants, right? So they'd been around a little bit before the financial crash of 2008. But they really sprang from that and grew in popularity. And I, I firmly believe that we are in this era now of, of rapid change. And we will see things coming out of this pandemic that will change the way we, we service restaurants and engage in space forever. I mean, the real shift that we're seeing now, Casey, to get to your point more, more directly, is obviously the rise in the ghost and virtual kitchens, the rise of, of reliance on technology to, to access our restaurants and our food thinking beyond the four walls of architecture. So we're thinking about off-premise too. So that goes to delivery, both from the restaurant to third-party pre-order pickup, 
curbside delivery. These are all trends that we're going to see just explode in the next year. And then in terms of actual physical design, we don't know because we haven't been in a restaurant for a year, right? So none of us really know, but we have some trends that we've been following. And I think we're going to see a, a big revolution or a big renaissance, I should say, of design change in restaurants too. Yeah. That's great context, actually. I think everybody will appreciate just how far back you went and how that is relatable to what we're going through today. And, you know, Tamara, I'm going to ask you just, is that resonating what Jeremy is sharing about what your experience has been and how operators are responding to the changes in the industry? You know, and how do you see in the most current circumstance that we're in being affected by these changes? Well, I think that definitely with the start of the pandemic in, you know, March, we were all of a sudden shut down overnight. And within 24 hours, we had to rethink our whole business model and had to figure out what we were going to do and how are we going to make money and how are we going to stay open? We had to be really nimble. We had to really turn innovation around really quickly and just made some mistakes in the beginning, but we got our flow going and we did well. We first started by taking the menu we knew we were going to go only delivery takeout. So we had to take the menu down to stuff that we knew we could sell. We knew we could move because we wouldn't be able to do like, for example, ahi tuna sashimi and keep it fresh. So that was one of the things that came off the menu. It later came back, but in the beginning, we were just afraid that we weren't maybe going to go through enough and weren't going to sell a great fresh product. So we had to change that around really quick. And then also we had to look at patio because you could do outside dining. So we had to look at our patios and we had to figure out how are we going to get the most effective use of these patios within the constraints of the, you know, the, the distancing. So in a lot of cities were really great. Culver City was amazing here in Los Angeles. They took one whole street, blocked it off and let everybody put tables and chairs out in the street with uh, tents and things. So really the cities came together and really helped us a lot too. Well, it's an interesting connection, I think, to the environmental design of not just what we're talking about in restaurants, but that's a great point about, you know, where we saw communities around the country take that Main Street concept and make it more pedestrian friendly in order to allow what you guys are are talking about in terms of restaurant space. Are they going to open that street back up or how do you see that playing out in your example there? Well, I think there's a transition period. So right now we have people getting vaccinated and some people not getting vaccinated. So I think we're probably gonna have like a year of this transition. We're open in our Las Vegas location at 50% right now. And still we get the majority of people wanting to sit outside. So um, some people sit inside, but um, majority of them still wanna sit outside. So I think that moving forward, definitely the patio and outside dining or open air dining of some sort is going to be the wave of the future. We're gonna have smaller indoors for ventilation and bigger areas outside, I think, even going forward, even after, you know, all the people that want to get vaccinated are vaccinated, I still think people are going to gravitate towards that for some time just because of, you know, we went through a year of being fearful. Yeah. Well, this is going to be a great conversation. We want to dig in here further. But before we do, let's take a quick break for our crop report. As most listeners know, this time of year, we get these weekly reports from important blueberry growing areas like Mexico, Peru, Chile. So here, once again, is your blueberry crop report. It's time now for your Blueberry Crop Report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry areas around the globe. Today, you'll hear from Andres Armstrong in Chile and Juan Seria Morales in Mexico. This report was recorded on March 17th, 2021. 
Hello, this is uh, Andres Armstrong reporting from uh, Chile on week 10. This is information up to February 15. The harvest in the central south zone of Chile is already finished, while the south zone is, 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 is in its final stage with volumes already on a low level. Considering that the season is already in this final phase and with rains recently registered, shipments from Chile are expected to finish this week with very few shipments. As a summary of the season, the accumulated shipments for fresh blueberries from Chile reached 160 million pounds with 46 million pounds of that volume being organic, which represents 18% of the total fresh volume out of Chile. Total exports increased by 8%, while organics grew by 34% this season compared to the previous one. In terms of markets, 137 million pounds were shipped to the US, representing 53% of the total volume and a 14% growth. This report concludes a very challenging season in terms of operations and logistics because of the COVID situation, but showing increased demand in most markets around the world. This is uh, our last report of the season. I thank you very much for the opportunity of um, providing the information of uh, the harvest and shipments out of Chile of this season. Thank you very much. Until the next season. Hi, good morning, everyone. My name is Juan Soria Morales. I am the plant health inspector from Maneberris. This week, the volume has grown a 5% with respect to the week uh, ninth. And we are expecting to keep growing for the next month since we are in the peak production. During this week, we have exported a total of 6,170,000 pounds to all over the world, including 31 countries. From this volume, 5,880 pounds have been shipped to the United States and Canada. Next week, we are expecting to keep these volumes, as I said at the beginning of this message, near and the production will be near to 6 million pounds, which will be exported to all over the world. That is the summary for uh, week 10, and I appreciate the opportunity to provide this information to you. Thank you. Thanks so much to our colleagues from around the world who take the time to participate in these crop reports as Chile and Peru's production continues to wind down. Uh, we're looking forward to the return of our domestic crop and the familiar voices from last year's reports. But for now, it's time to get into today's featured conversation here. Once again, we're lucky to be joined both by Jeremy Kay, head of environmental design at SRG, and Tamar Scroggins, executive chef at Daily Grill in Southern California. Jeremy, before the break, uh, we were talking about just the impact that the pandemic has had and then how it's going to transition for restaurants going forward. We had an interesting point Tamara made about how streets were shut down and do those spaces get sucked back up again when the need still is there to spread out and be in these outdoor environments. And uh, I, I'm curious your thoughts on that because it does impact, I think, the restaurant design going forward and the adaptions that we need to be considered from this pandemic and any future issues that we may face. So what do you think lasts beyond the pandemic experience we've had itself? Uh, yeah, so great questions, Casey. I think you, you've thrown a couple at me here that I, I want to respond to because I think it's really interesting. So back to the point Chef Tamro is making about you know restaurants getting to move outside and close down the street, the jury's going to be out on whether that's going to be a continuing trend moving forward. Uh, we've been in several meetings in the past with a lot of different stakeholders. Uh, and one of those key stakeholders is uh, government and city officials, because really they're the ones that control whether we can dine outside and close a street down. 
I think it's going to take a collective brain trust to realize that doing things like that is going to future-proof restaurants moving forward. So it, to me, it's a no-brainer. I'm not sure the city always sees it that way, but to allow the streets to shut down maybe in the summer where people can dine and eat and kind of peruse restaurants up and down the street, like we did it here in Boulder on Pearl Street, I think is only going to benefit restaurants and then vis-a-vis the city long-term but we need some policy change, right? So we need these key stakeholders to really come in and agree to that and see the long-term vision. So that was one point. The other thing is, I think it's important for us to realize the difference between shifts and trends. Trends are, that's a shorter period of time. And, and we've seen a lot of trends in the past year with all kinds of beta tests that we're doing, right? To see what works in the time of COVID. Shifts, on the other hand, are going to last with us long term and they're going to be with us well beyond the next year. Because I, I agree with Chef Tamara. I think we're still a year out before we see a real acceptance of, of feeling comfortable to come back and dine in. And, you know, one of the things that I think will outlast COVID uh, to your question, Casey, is certainly the reliance on uh, ghost and virtual kitchens. I think that'll last just because of the convenience factor. Also, I think it'll last because it allows restaurateurs to to rapid test more concepts more efficiently. So I think that that's really going to last. In terms of the actual restaurant experience, which is really where I spend a lot of time, we're going to see a number of big changes moving forward. So one would be a larger heart of the house. And the reason the heart of the house of a restaurant would continue to grow would be to handle the increased demand for drive-through or uh, curbside delivery or curbside pickup. So they need bigger areas for staging, just for packaging, for prepping everything. And for our audience, when you say heart of the house, it's... Yeah, there's three areas of a restaurant. The front of house is the dining room where we all we all enjoy our meals. The heart of the house is really kind of the cashier area and, and any area behind that where you can see the equipment and see some of the food theater happening, the chefs moving around. The back of house is really storage and prep. Uh, and that's usually closed off to um, any consumer, any visitor to a restaurant. So to me and, and to my colleagues and some of the research that we've been seeing is the heart of the house will continue to grow. Dining rooms are going to get smaller. I don't want that to be a blanket statement because there's there's a million different um, scenarios here. But I do believe on the whole, dining rooms will continue to shrink in size. We were seeing that pre-pandemic already with especially fast casual dining rooms are shrinking from... 5,000 square feet down to 2,500 square feet already. Uh, we think they're going to continue to do that. And dining rooms will then be a little more segmented. We're not going to have these big open areas anymore. I think people are going to want a little more privacy, like booth seating. And then the other big kicker is, you know, that connection to the outdoors I mentioned back 100 years ago when we were talking about the Spanish flu. That connection to the outdoors is going to be a big one. And we just heard Chef Tamara talking about it where she said her patio business is still doing really well. So, Having the ability to think beyond the four walls of traditional architecture and have garage doors or nano walls, which is another window system that you can really open up and have a seamless integration of indoors and out uh, are all trends we think will, will last long term. I want that at my house. Serious garage door. Yeah. That, yeah, that <laughs> opens up at the outdoor for maybe not pandemic purposes, but for all those same open house reasons. And maybe that is the thing that starts to influence everybody and in seeing, you know, what the pandemic has influenced in culture. But as Jeremy's talking about the trend and shift, Tamara, I'm going to loop you in here on the on the meat of the matter or the uh, the business of blueberries that we're in that I think everybody's going to want to hear your thoughts on, which is the shift or trend to blueberries on the menu. As you've seen this 
kind of uh, menu change during the pandemic. I know that you've added six menu items with blueberries, but can you tell us from your perspective, do you see those, you know, those healthy swaps or that added ingredient as a trend or a shift in what people are looking for in their meals? Well, in the beginning of the pandemic, everybody was wanting to have comfort foods or familiar foods that they knew that they were getting because everything else was so uncertain in life. They wanted to be like, hey, I know what a pot pie is. I'm going to get a pot pie. Um, you know, those kind of things. And I, as we went through the stages, you know, they started looking at that and go, oh, you know, I've gained about 25 pounds during this COVID from drinking and eating whatever I wanted because I'm just at home bored or, you know, whatever, trying to soothe my emotions, eating my emotions. You know, so I think that as we've gone through on this other side of the pandemic, I think people are like, oh, wait, what are the things of people dying from COVID, heart disease, obesity, diabetes? And so I think on this other side, people are like, I really have to pay attention to my health. I have to figure out, like, if I do get COVID, maybe I need to take better care of myself. And I think blueberries are a perfect option. You know, um, they fit so well into so many things. You can put them in a savory dish. You can put them in a sweet dish. They can do a sweet and savory dish. So I think they're pretty versatile and they're just a, like a awesome colors. But I don't think it's a trend. I think people are going to shift towards eating healthier, being healthier and eating things that are healthy for them because, you know, they want to feel good about what they're doing and moving forward because who knows what's going to come next and what it's going to attack and you need to be your healthiest to be able to combat it. And talk to me a little bit about your history and experience with blueberries as a chef. Well, I mean, blueberries are so many different kinds. You can get freeze dried, you can get the dried, you can, you can get the IQF frozen, you know, you can get a puree, you can get them fresh. I mean, there's so many different ways to get blueberries now and, you know, use them in different manners that I think that I have in my past life, I used a lot of IQF blueberry and blueberry puree in the menus we developed for the six items. We're using fresh blueberries and we're using a blueberry puree. Mainly, I wanted to use fresh blueberries because I felt like a lot of people weren't maybe consuming a lot of fresh things. And I think that the freshness and the color and just the pop it gives you in your mouth when you're eating it in a salad is like amazing. And then the puree, I just wanted to have more of an intense flavor, you know, in our drinks and things. Uh, it sounds like, you know, you've had great access using all those forms over the years. And I guess my question to you that really is maybe instructional for us to understand from your perspective is something about what more we could be doing to, you know, encourage blueberry use in menus. Is there anything as an industry we could be doing better uh, to encourage more use that you think other chefs like yourself would be inspired by? I would say uh, as an industry for blueberries, it's hard to get some of those products. So if I wanted to use, for example, freeze-dried blueberries, I'm going to have to go to Amazon and order them or find somebody that's going to deliver them. I can't get them through a broadliner. I can't get them through DOT. I can't get them through Cisco or even a produce house for that matter. You know, so I have to go out to someplace else. And sometimes it's cost prohibitive. Sometimes it's just a matter of I can't get the chefs to go on a website and order it and get it in time because there's a lag time in getting it. And if they were easier to get, like, how would that affect your ingredient use? I mean, what you're saying, I think I understand what you're saying is that it would help you dive deeper in the, you know, bringing that ingredient to life in a number of different ways, right? Oh, sure. So like, for example, right now, I'm, I, we have a, a lemon bar, we call it pucker up. We put a powdered sugar on it, but how amazing would it have been if I had the powdered blueberry 
you know, that I could have shaken over the top with the color popping on the plate and all that rather than the white powdered sugar. I mean, that would have been so amazing. I'm writing it down right now. We got to get this recipe. Um, but let's uh, also loop Jeremy back because I think, you know, he did a fantastic job. Let me just say SRG, you know, really helped put blueberries on the map during the pandemic through what was the restaurant of the future design. It was an incredible project. If you haven't seen it, you know, we'll put it in the show notes so you guys can link directly to what we're talking about that was shared with a lot of chefs. Why, Jeremy, why do you think they are well positioned for the current and future state of the food service industry? There's kind of two parts to that question as well. Um, Number one was blueberries are so versatile, right? And so we actually, as we were starting to visualize this restaurant of the future, which as you just mentioned, I urge everyone to go on and watch this video that we've created. We're making a perfect application of a future-proofed restaurant in that video, right? So all the bells and whistles are in this one environment and blueberries show up at every step of the way and they have a major impact at every step of the way, right? So at the drive-through, right? That just makes the menu images totally pop. The color of blueberries can show up in architecture. Kind of the romantic language we use to describe the, the blueberry basket of this building that we built. They just showed up everywhere in the heart of the house, in our bakery case, in the way we treated our beverage counter. They were so versatile. And so it was really a, a pretty easy fit for us to really design an experience around blueberries. And that's what we did. And the second part of that question, though, is there's just been such a, a an enormous upheaval and change in the last year, right? To everyone from chefs to operators to restaurateurs to franchisees. And we wanted to help the entire industry in a way as well. So we really wanted to lift up the entire industry by visualizing some more optimistic approaches as we come out of kind of a year of hardship of like, here's how we can future-proof our experiences and still make them totally engaging and craveable and delicious and experiential and so it was really a, a, a twofold effort to visualize all that. Well, it's an incredible visual. It's also, you know, it feels very interactive. And the work you guys did to kind of bring that to life, we couldn't be more proud to be associated with it and just encouraging people to, uh, you know, reimagine a future. And back to you, Tamara, on what we've been describing as being this future restaurant. I know you've had a, probably a chance to watch this. Is it resonating to you? I mean, do you do you agree with what, what's being cast as the future? Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen the video twice. Amazing, both times. I saw different things each time, though. The first time I was kind of like all, all on board with listening to it and then and looking at all the blueberry pictures and images and stuff like that. The second time I really took a little bit more interest in like seeing the nuances. I didn't notice, you know, the, the blueberry color. I didn't notice that there was blueberry bushes in the front. I mean, you know, and I think that that part, like the blueberry bushes in the front interactive. And so if there's blueberries on them, people can go pick them sure. or, you know, like little kids can pop them in their yep, mouth, I yep. guess, you know, you know, so I think that it really made a big impact um, with the bright colors, the way that either the drive through the open air outside, it made me rethink about um, looking at our operations and how can we not necessarily incorporate blueberry, but like, how do you make it more experience? That's right. Well, and again, you know, I think, you know, we're focused here at USHBC on on how can we positively influence the recovery of the food service industry. And I, I am just, you know, proud to be associated with that work uh, as an organization and certainly, uh, you know, glad to hear, Tamara, that from your perspective, it was influential in your thoughts about the future for your company and your, you know, your vision. So, 
So chef, let me get your take on this healthy swap concept. I know that's a term you're probably familiar with and blueberries have been one of those items that people continue to associate with this healthy swap concept, but you've got to toe the line between health and comfort food when cooking during the pandemic and takeout food is, as we've discussed, isn't typically associated with health. So how do blueberries help combat that trend or, or how do you see that kind of healthy swap concept involving blueberries? Well, I think that right now there's a really nice shift to more plant-forward, plant-based items. And not saying that they're cutting out protein altogether, but protein isn't the center of the plate. So protein is more like four to five ounces in there. And then you're filling up the rest with healthy grains, healthy greens, you know, fruits like blueberries, vegetables, you know, that kind of thing. So I think that it's really going to be more of a shift, especially since right now, I mean, proteins are expensive. You know, and if you're going to go out and get 16 ounce steak, you're going to pay $40 more, you know, because of the way the pandemic has happened. It's just been hard for processing and it's getting more expensive and, you know, fuel charges and all those things. So I really think that there's more of a shift towards plant forward. And I think the plant forward is going to be better for the overall health of our people and also for, you know, the growers that are growing all these wonderful, you know, grains and, and produce. Fantastic. It's great insights from your perspective that I think kind of inspire our audience who's listening, certainly our blueberry growers, to be thinking about how much more we could be doing with chefs like yourself in food service to continue to take advantage of that shift. And I think that's a great theme of today's conversation is that, you know, we're not going to be seeing trends coming out of this pandemic. We're going to be trying to help inspire the shift that is taking place and being a part of that shift. So really great discussion today. Is there anything you'd like to share before we go? The only other thing that I was thinking about was that so many of the restaurants are now doing virtual restaurants. You know, there's ghost kitchens and there's virtual restaurants. I don't know if you guys know the difference, but ghost kitchen is not in a brick and mortar kitchen. Virtual restaurants are operating out of a brick and mortar restaurant. So um, a lot of the restaurants have done these virtual restaurants and for two reasons. One, you need another stream of income. We need a way to utilize our existing SKUs better. And then we're able to like do a, a focus group, like, well, just put it up on DoorDash and you see if people are going to order it. And if they do, then great. We might be able to put it on our menu. So our R&D time is a lot less in getting um, our dishes to market. And so I just think that as far as the world's changing and uh, people have gotten used to getting their food delivered to their door, I think that's not going to change. I think it's going to be a little bit less. I think it's going to be a little bit like the roaring 20s once everybody gets their vaccination and they're going to go out and like party like it's 1999. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. hear you. So, I'm ready for that party. <laughs> yeah. So, but I also think once that settles down, they're going to be like, you know, it was really convenient to have my food brought to my door. You know, so I don't think that's going to go completely away. All right. Same question to you, Jeremy. Anything? Yeah, sure, uh, Casey. So, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the the restaurant of the future that we designed was really um, taking a lot of big ideas and, and putting them into one footprint. But the bigger idea here is we're seeing a rising shift to biophilic design. And in a nutshell, biophilic design is really designing spaces that make you feel better. Uh, you're designing with nature, and they're and they're much more natural. You know, our our team really felt like that went hand in hand with blueberries because there's a, a rising awareness and acceptance of mental health and the role that food and experiences play with mental health. 
uh, I think we're just on the tip of the iceberg of really getting into this new uh, shift of understanding how we can all come out of this uh, pandemic in a, in a better spot than when we entered. So the idea of picking blueberries as you walked in was really more the notion of, look, blueberries are high in antioxidants. We all know that. They're beautiful. Let's make them experiential. Let's have people feel good about picking the food that they're about to eat. And then let's tie that into the environment that really does bring the outdoors in. And really, you know, blueberries just worked so perfectly with that, where the whole space was really around nature and bringing in sunlight and natural materials. And so that was really the impetus for the design. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation and episode. I think there's a lot of depth in what this episode is bringing to our industry and certainly to the audience who listens to the business of blueberries that is beyond just, you know, the, the blueberry business by itself. And and I want to thank you, Chef Damra and Jeremy for joining us today and really appreciate, you know, the work you're doing, you know, food and agriculture being essential in this global pandemic and, uh, and the inspiration, Jeremy, that the SRG team has provided us in kind of codifying and, and reimagining and inspiring, you know, what we all need to be thinking about in the days ahead. So thank you both. Really appreciate your time today. And uh, we'll look forward to the next time. So thank you again. Yeah. Thank you, Casey. Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate it. Well, I really enjoyed today's conversation with Chef Tamara and Jeremy. You know, I think these kinds of things are aspirational and inspirational in where things are going to go from here. A few of my key takeaways from today's conversation certainly include, you know, what Jeremy was talking about in terms of shifts and trends that we're actually seeing a shift and that, you know, in many ways we need to figure out how to uh, be a part of that shift as blueberry industry. We need to find ourselves squarely in helping uh, the food service industry continue to evolve through this pandemic we've been through. And, you know, obviously I think the work you're hearing us discuss is how blueberries are a part of that conversation. How blueberries are actually helping to inspire the future of that conversation and where we go from here. It has been a, a great project uh, working this year in light of circumstances to just continue to work with the food service industry on thinking through all the things that are still being thought through. And I just think Jeremy's work at the team at SRG did a fantastic job of involving our industry in that thought leadership. I also appreciated the chef just kind of giving us her perspective on what they've gone through that, you know, it's been a uh, effort of innovation on their part. And that's been a huge theme for us in the blueberry industry this year is just continuing to recognize that it's our responsibility to innovate as an industry. And uh, they've been a great example of innovation all year long for those of us who have uh, participated in supporting service through uh, continuing to patronize uh, the places in our own uh, communities. It's been a tough year for them. And I think it's just been a responsibility on our part at USHBC to find ways to represent our industry in support of the food service industry. So today's episode is really a tribute to the food industry work, you know, a great example of, of where two industry sectors that were clearly defined as essential workers early on uh, are continuing to make it work and will continue to work together to inspire each other in the future ahead. Well, that's it for episode 39. Thanks so much for your continued support of this podcast. In fact, if you're listening this week, we really encourage you to participate in our spring conference and meetings happening now, you know, as this uh, publishes, it's opportunity for you to tune in to blueberryevents.org and be a part of these conversations. We're really digging into a lot of subjects that relate to food service. This conversation continues 
online uh, in these virtual meeting environments in ways you can engage with us as USHBC. So just an encouragement this week. Uh, we also have our, our board meetings and committee meetings on Friday. So please join us there. Again, blueberryevents.org. We'd love to continue this conversation online with you. And again, thank you for your support of the podcast. So thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries.